Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Busting Brackets podcast. I'm Connor Hope, here with my co-host, Brian Ralph, and we are going to dive this week into our SEC preview. Now, I know the past couple of weeks, Brian, we started, or we kind of ended the discussion talking about coaching changes and uh, Mm -hmm. what coaches were on the hot seat. I think, for the SEC at least, one of the most apt discussions maybe to kick this all off is... The SEC has a lot of new coaches. Um, They've got eight coaches out of the 14 coaches are in year Mm -hmm. three or earlier in their programs. And four of those, four of the the eight, are brand new head coaches. Um, What what do you think of of some of the the coaching hires that these SEC schools made this offseason? For the most part, I like them. And I've liked what the SEC has done the past half decade really the conference put a real emphasis on elevating their basketball programs collectively as a whole largely through the hiring of basketball coaches uh, they were trying to shed that whole football only conference type deal um and we've seen that in a lot of hires uh, frank martin in south carolina as south carolina grad immediately comes to mind auburn spent on Bruce Pearl, Mississippi State spent on, on Ben Hallen, and now we're seeing kind of the next wave of that, which is really interesting. And I think maybe top to bottom, the SEC might have the deepest roster of coaches of any conference in the country. And, you know, they may not have some of the top-end guys of conferences like the ACC, Big 12, things like that. But I think top to bottom, I don't know who, who else would beat them. But for, for the hires from this year specifically – the particular one that stood out to me it was Jerry Stackhouse at Vanderbilt. Obviously, the bar set kind of low there with the way the Kevin Stallings era kind of ended, and then the Bryce Drew experiment just kind of blowing up in their face in a, in a big, big way. Stackhouse, I think, is a good coach who proved himself uh, in the NBA as an assistant and in the G League. So he, he has experience as a head coach, obviously not college but I think he brings a different dynamic to Vanderbilt from a popularity standpoint a notoriety standpoint even a prestige standpoint um, and maybe a, a bit of a, a newer vibe to a program that has kind of needed a spark and I think he'll provide that along with good on-court coaching yeah no I definitely agree with you I think that uh, you know all these coaching hires were um, successful I think Stackhouse is going to be one of those those hires to watch. Like you said, he has uh, a low bar to climb, um, but he's he's got some decent talent on the roster now. Do you think mm-hmm. Vanderbilt uh, clears that one win mark in the SEC, or um, you know how how, yeah, how competitive think, do you think they'll be? I mean, they'll be a bottom half team. I think there's still ways to go. Talent-wise, but they have more talent than a, a winless team uh, last year. They had a lot, a lot of negative breaks go their way too. I have my dog and a squeaky toy in the background here, but I, I could see them winning maybe five or six conference games. I don't think that's too far fetched. Yeah, no, I, I, I definitely think so. I think that um, Stackhouse will give them a nice change of pace, and like we mentioned with some of the other coaching hires earlier uh, in this off season. You know, his his true testament's not going to come until years two, three. Yeah, the, it's not going to be till year two, three, four of the Stackhouse era before you can really judge, or at least fairly judge, the job he's done at Vanderbilt. It's a rebuilding process. I think they hired him knowing that. He's going to have to recruit a couple cycles really well, which they kind of hired him to do, and I think his pedigree is going to allow them to be in the mix for and have access to a higher caliber prospect than they have in the past. In the 2021 class, 2022 class, you might see Vanderbilt be in the mix for some of those higher-end four-star, even potentially five-star prospects. And that's where you see the program really take off under him. Yeah, and um, kind of moving across, uh, one incoming coach that might have a little bit of a higher uh, bar to clear than others is Nate Oates at Alabama. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty successful at Buffalo comes in to coach a team that has a lot of talent and I and I think has had a lot of talent for the past couple of years and and Avery Johnson just couldn't get them to to compete at that consistent top 25 level 
but a lot of people have Alabama in that top 25, top 30 conversation. H- how do you see Alabama doing this year in the, in the first year of Nate Oates? I think they're a fringe team, uh, fringe top 25 team. I want to see kind of how they look under Nate Oates before I really go to, to judge whether they're that quality of a team or not. Because, as you mentioned, they have the talent, particularly in the backcourt. And that's what makes the NATO hiring so exciting is because he had so much success at Buffalo with a really guard-heavy, perimeter-oriented kind of style. He's going to be able to get the most or at least get more out of guy like Kira Lewis and John Petty than Avery Johnson did on a, on a consistent basis. I don't know whether they'll necessarily compete for the SEC title or anything like that, but if they're not an NCAA tournament team this year, I think then that could be considered somewhat of a disappointment. How well do you think Kara Lewis is going to perform this year? I know a lot of people are pegging him as one of the the three to four to watch for the SEC uh, Player of the Year race. Um, he he was solid last year. Comes in as a sophomore. Uh, are you expecting big things from him? I am, but uh, to the extent of which I, I would, it depends on how much NATO kind of gives him the reins. Because keep in mind, it's NATO's first year with these players. It's also the players' first year in this system. And there's going to be a bit of an adjustment period until they're all kind of on the same page. If he lets Kira Lewis kind of go and play, I think we could see him have that big year average, you know, somewhere between 17 and 20 points per game with you know, five, six, seven assists maybe even. If they kind of let him let him go, NATO's runs a kind of system that lends itself to those kind of numbers from a, a lead guard if they produce consistently but if he's not as comfortable with his decision making and not on the same page, we could see NATO kind of pull the reins back on him and and kind of reel him in to a point where we may have a, a similar year as last year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I think Alabama is probably in that fourth to fifth range in, in the uh, in the SEC. So so we'll see how how they. I do. think the biggest key. I think the biggest key for them is John Petty. Because he was a five-star kid coming in, came into Colin Sexton's class, and the splits for him, shooting-wise, at home and on the road, are so out of whack. And that was kind of what you saw from an Avery Johnson team, right? Well, certain situations they'd be great, and other situations they wouldn't be. If Oates can get Petty to just find some consistency on a game-to-game basis, not even a month-to-month, just a game-to-game basis, that gives Alabama an entirely new element, and I think raises their ceiling. Yeah, for me, I think the biggest key is the play of at least one or two of the the, the freshmen coming in because with James Rojas out for the the season, um, they do lose uh, some experience uh, on that bench, and and their bench wasn't deep to begin with. So, you know, I I think along along with what you said, I think that how well those freshmen play can really set the tone to whether or not Alabama's a top 25 team or, or whether they fall down into the 30s. What do you make of Eric Musselman at Arkansas? Because that's the other guy I think that everyone's really high on. And Arkansas, again, another rebuilding project a little bit. They're in a better spot than Vanderbilt is, certainly. But he's somebody that, given his success, a relatively quick success at Nevada, I know Razorback fans are expecting big things out of him and, and rather quickly. Yeah, I mean, I... I like Musselman, and I liked him at Nevada. Uh, I think that his uh, style of coaching, his style of recruiting, might not be as successful in the SEC as people are assuming it's going to be. Because uh, you've got to look at the fact that at Nevada, he was taking in, you know, every single top grad transfer that was coming out seemed to be mm-hmm. going to Nevada, and they didn't really play great basketball. They, they relied on, uh, you know, four-star players to get the job done. Um, they didn't move the ball a ton. Uh, their defense was, was suspect at times, and I think that that's why Nevada kind of tailed off at points last season, was just they, they couldn't get, you know, they, they couldn't get the, a roll going, and um, they really relied on, on the hot hand a little bit too much, I felt. So, uh, you know, he- heading to, to, to Arkansas, he's really going to have to show that he can coach players up. And, 
you know, they've, they've got some solid transfers that, that are going to be available to them in, in Jimmy Witt. Surprise, surprise. Um, and, and I think that, you know, Jalen Harris playing the point guard, uh, seeing as he's not a primary scorer, I think helps. I think what, what hurt them at Nevada was that their point guard um, in Cody Martin was also one of their best scorers and, and was relied on mm-hmm. to score a lot. And, and I feel like with, with Harris controlling the ball and you've got Isaiah Joe and Mason Jones kind of playing those primary scoring roles, I feel like he might have a better team set up to move the ball. He's just got to coach it. Yeah, and a lot of that has to do with the roster makeup, as you mentioned. I, he was at Nevada long enough to have us to, to show us a blueprint of what his offense is like with a balanced roster, as opposed to having one that's stacked with three or four really talented guys, especially for Mountain West level competition. And those guys sort of ran the show. He didn't. We didn't, didn't get a, a template of what he would do with a more team-based approach, which I think is going to be one of the interesting things to watch with Arkansas this year. Yeah, and they also lack size, and that's the one thing that Nevada had in spades was, was guys who mm-hmm. were in that 6'6 six, six to 6'8, six, 6'9 height range that could play the two through the four. And, you know, even though Jordan Caroline wasn't a huge center, you know, he, he still had the, the, the weight and, and the strength to play that position, and that's my biggest concern. Yeah, he was big enough. Yeah, that, that's my biggest concern with, with Arkansas is that they don't have a ton of size. Um, and, and so it'll be interesting to see how he handles playing with a, or coaching a smaller roster. Yeah, and it's not going to happen overnight there. It's not going to happen overnight uh, at any of these places with the exception of maybe Alabama, just given the talent that Nados is inheriting. But Arkansas fans expect them to get back to competing in the SEC sooner rather than later. And that's why they've made this higher. I know the 1994 national championship to everybody else feels like it was a long time ago. But Arkansas fans, I don't want to, you know, don't necessarily view themselves as a national power, but know they're capable of winning a championship and want to get back to playing kind of at, you know, at that level or at a high level that they haven't been at really since that era, much sooner rather than later. So I don't know how, how patient they're going to be with Musselman when they may need to be to get his kind of players and system in place. Yeah. And one coach that's coming in, and I think this is the coach that we, we have the greatest sense of how he can coach at a high major level is Buzz Williams, uh, leaving Virginia tech to go to Texas A&M. Um, what did you think of this decision by, and I think everyone's going to agree this, this hire by Texas A&M was great, but what do you think of the decision by Buzz Williams to leave Virginia tech to head to Texas A&M? Well, I think you just look at what Virginia Tech has this year. Uh, we had our ACC podcast, and everybody had them at the bottom of, or the second to bottom if they didn't have them at the bottom, right? So I think he kind of looked around and saw that it wasn't going to be great. It was going to be another long process there and, like, another rebuilding cycle, so to speak. He kind of needed to get more recruits, and so it was a good time to leave. And now I know he pitched the whole going home thing, which wasn't really a thing, but you can pitch it as that and try and get some warm fuzzies, so that's fine. But they threw a lot of money at him. And given the timing and I think the patience A&M is going to have with him and the investment they're making in their athletic department as a whole, it sets them up well, I think, for long-term success because they're going to be patient with the rebuild. A&M has never been good and, and certainly hasn't been competitive since the Billy Gillespie era, really. I know they, they had some runs here the past couple years, but I think you could say a lot of those years they didn't live up to expectations per mm-hmm. se. So they're going to you know, A&M's not the kind of team like Arkansas, not the kind of program that's going to want um, immediate success or have somewhat unrealistic expectations about how long the process is going to take, which I think plays in, in his favor. Yeah, and I think that he's going to have to. Um, I mean, right now he's got six non-freshmen on that roster and so he's got to recruit like Nate Oates he's he's gonna have to recruit he's also gonna have to to coach a lot of freshmen up immediately if he wants to be competitive in the SEC um 
the one player that I kind of have question marks about, and I think he could be good if he just played his role a little bit better, is TJ Starks. Um, yes. You know, he's he's a, a 6'2 junior guard. He can, he can score, and we've seen that he can score, but I feel like he just takes bad shots a lot. <laughs> he, he does, and some of that was youth. I think, you know, look around the roster last year, who else is going to take the shots, right? And you look around the roster this year, who else is going to take the shots? And I think as a young player, he was, the, I believe, the only returning starter from that team that made the Sweet 16 in, in 2018. So I think he looked around and, and expected himself to kind of be the man. And in doing so, forgot about playing smart basketball. Because, again, he he's a young guy, wanted to be the man, thought he had, you know, had pressure on him to be the man, looked around and didn't see a whole lot of other people who were better than him, guys you'd prefer to kind of take those shots. And you can kind of develop some bad habits this way and or that way. And now that Buzz Williams is there, somebody – I mean, we saw Justin Robinson's improvement from year to year under Buzz Williams, the old uh, Gene Tech point guard. I think we could see the same thing for Sparks if he kind of takes a, a step back and doesn't play as aggressively. Yeah, and, and I think that he needs to learn that he can rely on, on players like Wendell Mitchell and – Savion Flag and and Josh Nebo to 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 take those shots and make them at a at a high rate, um, and I feel like that mm-hmm. that was one of seemed to be one of his biggest issues is just trust. He didn't trust his teammates to score, um, right? Which which if if they figure out how to take if if Buzz Williams can figure out how to make Starks a uh, an appropriate leader at the point guard position. You know, I, I'd still think Texas A&M's in the bottom half of the SEC, but you know, this could be the difference between being bottom half and bottom three. So, yeah, if, if he certainly has a bunch of potential, he I think he has all conference potential. If he plays up to that, you could see A&M steal a few wins because of his play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So moving on, uh, I think one of the. Uh, teams with the biggest amount of buzz for a team that's probably still a bottom half team is Georgia. And that's because they have star freshman Anthony Edwards uh, joining forces with Tom Crean in Athens. What are you expecting from from the Bulldogs this year? Just imagine if Nick Claxton stayed one more year. Him and Anthony Edwards would have, would I, I, I think, taken Georgia – pretty far the NCAA tournament. That would have been a lot of fun to watch, but um, I'm expecting it to be somewhat of a Ben Simmons type year. Crean's a, a better coach, and I think is going to have the rest of Georgia's roster playing, I think, better than some of their parts. But Anthony Edwards is going to look at that roster, and he's going to know that he's by far the best player, kind of like we talked about with Starks. He's going to know. And he also knows he's going to be one and done. And so he, I think at a certain point, you got to walk the line between going out and trying to get his and trying to win games and I, I, finding a, a good balance between the two. I don't trust everybody else on the roster. I think Edwards is good enough to kind of have them be middle of the pack in the conference and maybe be on the NCAA tournament bubble. I would, I would put him on the wrong side, but he could certainly get them in that conversation. But I, I don't think the rest of the roster has anywhere near – what they need to kind of be a clear-cut top-half team and a clear-cut NCAA tournament team. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, outside of Rayshon Hammonds, uh, they don't really return much, and yeah. one player isn't going to change that. So, yeah, no, I kind of agree with the, the comp to Ben Simmons. Um, I think that there might be a little bit lower – of an expectation from Georgia fans to make the NCAA tournament than LSU fans had when Simmons was there. But Georgia fans, Georgia fans don't just learn how they had a basketball team. <laughs> yeah. So no, I, it'll be fun though. I mean, it, it'll keep people watching Georgia um, at least uh, well beyond they, the time they probably should continue to watch Georgia. <laughs> um, but 
Yeah, I mean, I think Anthony Edwards is probably going to be watched for the same reason that people might tune into Australian basketball. You know, there, there's a potential top five pick um, playing. Yeah. Yeah. The the Georgia-Kentucky game for games, I, I don't know if, if they play once or twice. That's going to be a lot of fun just to watch him go up against a full line of NBA caliber, NBA-sized guards and, and team. And if he's going to be the number one pick, which he's certainly in the mix for, that's the game where you'd want to see him show out. It'll be fun to watch. Yeah. Speaking of Kentucky, they uh, they return Ashton Hagens and they bring in a stacked recruiting class. Um, I know that there's a lot of debate over who the top team is in the SEC this year, but what are some of the reasons why Kentucky may uh, have a strong claim to that title? Athleticism, size, defensive potential, and they're just athleticism, ability to score around the rim. It, it's kind of rinse, repeat with Kentucky. It feels like the past couple of years where they're a deep team, have have a lot of size, a lot of quickness, guys who can really bother you defensively. Uh, it may be a couple months until they, they become a really good defensive team because with all these freshmen, you know, we've seen it in the past decade that John Calipari has been there. It takes these freshmen a couple months to get into learning how to play defense the way Calipari wants them to play defense. But size and athleticism is, is going to be there, and they'll eventually become a good defensive team. The question, again, is shooting and whether they have enough to really space the floor and make defenses honest and create the driving lanes that are going to make all those guards they have the most effective. Yeah, for me, it's going to be shooting and who steps up in that front court. Um, you know, last year they had P.J. Washington yeah. and Reed Travis, and this year, you know, E.J. Montgomery or Nick Richards, one of them has to step up at the five. Uh, They're talented enough to. And, and so I'm not necessarily worried about that. But again, until you see it, it's a it's a yeah. concern. And and one of the kind of more, I guess, intriguing uh, transfer decisions, grad transfer decisions was Nate Sestina from Bucknell um, mm-hmm. heading there to pot- potentially be that backup four or five um, kind of guy if if he can acclimate himself to the SEC well. So, you know, I, I don't think they have a bad front court by any means, but it's a lot of players who are unproven, you know, at that level with that role. And so um, mm-hmm. we, uh, we're we just going to have to wait. And, I mean, like with any Kentucky team, right, we're just going to have to wait and see, and we'll probably find out about a week into the season <laughs> that they're just as yeah, good as they and- always are. The Champions Classic is going to be really telling in that standpoint because they're going to need somebody to to step up and kind of be that guy right away. And that'll be a good sort of right away instant barometer of kind of the pecking order in terms of where things stand within their own roster. Right. So competing with the Wildcats, um, kind of in that conversation for best team in the SEC, is the Florida Gators. Um, they, the they best got... team in the SEC. <laughs> the best team in the SEC. They uh, they locked up the one the top uh, grad transfer in the country in, in Carrie Blackshear coming from Virginia Tech, um, and really have just they have a ton of talent on that roster. Uh, as you they said, do. why why do you feel they're the best team in the SEC? Well, you mentioned the talent, and I think they, they fit well together. And we know what to expect from them. I, I love Andrew Nemhard as the point guard. It was very obvious last year that he was the most talented player they had. But with guys like Kevon Allen, um, seniors that they had who were used to kind of having the ball and kind of running their their own stuff, they got caught in a lot of isolation ball. And – it, it really bogged down their offense. And I, I, I think that's a big reason why Florida didn't live up to expectations each of these last two years after they made that Elite Eight run back in 2017. But when, when Nemhard had the ball and was able to kind of do his own thing, maybe not do his own thing, but, but create and run, and run the offense and utilize his vision, the offense flowed much smoother. And that was when they got a lot of their 
best offense and, and best action and best runs. I think he assisted on a third of all of their baskets last year when he was on the court, which is just sort of an insane number for a guy who was maybe the third or fourth option on the team. He's going to have the ball in his hands a lot more this year running the show. Another five-star point guard coming in and Trey Mann, who's probably going to play alongside him, which I don't think is a huge issue because Nimhart has turned his size at 6'5". They'll be able to defend opposing backcourts. But he's more of a shooter, so there's the fit there. Blackshear obviously coming in, providing something of a, of a post presence there. I, I I don't see really any holes on this on this team. Then Scotty Lewis comes in, another five-star, super athletic guy. Not somebody who's polished offensively, but has a tremendous defensive game and can be deadly in transition. Who, again, kind of fits in on the wing there and fills that role. They they have guys who, who sort of check all the boxes. And when you look at team construction, I think fit as well together, on paper at least, as, as you possibly could. Yeah, and, you know, I, I great for Mike White. I, I think Mike White's kind of been coaching a little bit in the shadow of, of Billy Donovan for, you know, his first uh, oh, yeah. handful of years. And I think this is the first time he's put together a roster where at the beginning of the season you can definitively say, yeah, this this is a roster that can can uh, kind of live up to that expectation. Um, you know, like you said, and I think we've mentioned it with, with a lot of uh, teams in the past, and, and we mentioned it with Kentucky, and, you know, there's just a lot of question marks. I kind of lean in your favor on this where I don't really have as many question marks about this Florida roster um, in terms of how it's constructed, in terms of where their strengths and weaknesses are. I, I think the biggest question mark is just can some of these uh, sophomores take that second, next step um, and be kind of star players alongside Kerry Blackshear. But, you know, I mean, they have the talent to do it. They they have the play style to do it. I think that um, we're going to see a, a really good Florida Gators team, which is it's going to be nice to, to, to still have the, uh, the competition at the top of the SEC, despite uh, the steps back that teams like Auburn and Tennessee took. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's good for the SEC when Florida's good, and this year, as you mentioned, they have, they have the talent. To be. I I wrote an article for Busting Brackets going through the eight guys I think are going to have the biggest breakout seasons this year, and Nemhard made that list for me because he's going to have the ball in his hands and be in charge with running the show. He's not going to be somebody who scores you know twenty points a night kind of deal, but I think we could see him put up. Uh, a couple triple doubles this season where he's got, you know, 12 points, 11 rebounds, 12 assists kind of deals. And if he gives Florida that and the other guys fill their roles, I think they, they win the SEC by maybe two or three games. Wow. Yeah, no, I mean, they have plenty of talent. He's, he's not going to have to be the guy who scores a lot. I mean, they've got Noah Locke, Scotty Lewis, Keontae Johnson, Kerry right. Blackshear, Trey Mann. I mean, they've got talent. So, <laughs> Uh, hopefully good, he just man. he he fits into that and continues to fit into that primary point role. The th- kind of the third team, I guess that they're not really gonna compete. I don't think for for an SEC championship, but they're probably the closest there, despite the loss of Tremont Waters, is LSU. Um, the reigning champs. Yeah. Uh, is should we have any any uncertainty in the kind of Will Wade fallout, or um, you know, is is Will Wade going to have this team ready to play uh, in November? I think any Will Wade fallout would come from the incident double A. I don't mm-hmm. think there's going to be any on court suffering because he's there and there's this cloud over them. They didn't play with that in the NCAA tournament when things were kind of really at their peak. Still made it to the Sweet 16 and I, you know, things may have gone differently in, in the Sweet in that Sweet 16 game because we can say if he goes on the sidelines. I don't, I don't think there's going to be any of that. The only way it happens is if the NCAA comes out with something before the season or during the season. That could change things. The biggest question mark for me is having guys step up and replace the production of, of Nas Reed and Tremont Waters because they were pretty much everybody else, but those were their two lead guys. 
and they have guys who can replace them. It's a matter of one, those guys, particularly Javante Smart, kind of replacing Tremont Waters and taking a bigger role. But then you need to have some depth replace them. And, you know, it, you could say this every year with teams that lose good players is guys got to take a step up and you want to see them prove it. But that's the only thing for me that's going to keep LSU from not being in that top tier with Kentucky and Florida. Yeah, my concern is is really around um, Smart and, and, and Skyler Mays. Um, you know, neither is, is a fantastic shooter. Uh, and mm-hmm. so one of them's going to have to run the point guard, or, or both of them. Um, Will Wade kind of likes that pick and roll uh, on the offense end. Could you see that being an issue? Where, where neither's really a shooter, neither's really a point guard, but 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 play style-wise, Will Wade kind of does love that pick and roll. Yeah, I think Mays is a decent enough shooter um, to at least keep defenses honest. The I think most challenging partners are going to come late in shot clocks or in big possessions because what they would run would be Tremont Waters and Osri pick and rolls that you'd have to guard out to five feet beyond the three-point line, both players. And that was what they used, and that was what they used late in games and helped them beat a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Not kind of the same kind of floor spacing, which, as you mentioned, guys like, like Smart and Mays, their best bet is going to the basket, and are there going to be enough wings for them? It's going to be an adjustment. But I say what you want about Will Wade off the court and his recruiting and money he's given players and different things like that. But on the court, I, I've been a big fan of his sort of X's and O's. So I, I trust that he'll get these guys in positions to be successful and, and make plays. The question is if there's enough room or if they can make defenses respect them enough to make it work as effectively as it did last year. Yeah. No, no. I mean, that's a good point. And I think that they're, they're going to be fine. Um, the two teams that were with them and Kentucky – kind of in that top four of the SEC uh, last year. Tennessee and Auburn are probably going to take at least size, pretty sizable steps back. Um, they're both mm-hmm. probably tournament teams, but to what degree they know. can compete. Um, which one do you think might not be, Auburn or, or Tennessee? I, I don't know. I don't, well, I think they'll both probably end up being bubble teams. But if you're Tennessee, you – cannot lose as much production and leadership as they lost, particularly on a team that wasn't super deep and not have it affect you in a major way. Every big possession last year was Grant Williams or Admiral Schofield or Jordan Bone doing something. And those three guys aren't there. And you can have, you know, one player step up, even if two players step up, because I think they have enough talented guys and Rick Barnes is a good enough coach where that'll happen but you're not going to be able to replace collectively what the three of them gave you from on-court production and leadership and direction. I think we could see Tennessee be one of those teams that's ranked because of what they did last year, but take a, a big step back because I think a lot of people are underestimating just how much they lost. Yeah. No, I, for me, I actually think Tennessee might be a little bit stronger than Auburn this year um, just because of, I, I think that with Lamont Turner and Jordan Bowden coming back, um, plus they mm-hmm. have that five-star freshman coming in at the wing, I, I think they have enough talent um, to kind of keep it going from that perspective. I, I think leadership and kind of that uh, ice-cold veins that uh, Schofield had and, and, and Grant Williams had is something that they're going to be missing. I'm just not sure what to make of Auburn. Yeah. The reason why I have Auburn slightly out of Tennessee is simply because of the, the system that they play. It is conducive to allowing less talented players to have success if they're able to run uh, and shoot at a decent clip. You're going to get a ton of possessions and you're going to beat people just because of the way you play. And talent-wise, they're taking a, a huge step back. Again, you're not going to lose a trio of guys like Jared Harper and Bryce Brown and Chumo Kiki and not suffer, right? 
but I I trust their style of play to pick up maybe some more. I don't want to say garbage wins than Tennessee, but they're going to have I think just some of those wins you look back on. You're like, how do they win that game? Because they got hot from three. Do you think that the uh, the extended three point line um, hurts Auburn? offensively more than it might help them because the defense uh, now has more space to cover? Or do you think it's kind of a wash in that perspective? Well, I, I know you certainly feel that way. I I think it, I agree. I think it helps them more than it hurts them because if, if, you know, if you can shoot from two feet further up, you're going to be able to shoot for the most part from two further back. Yeah, It's really going to only affect the big guy, the guys who had borderline range anyway. And those were guys you didn't want shooting the three, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, you, you leave it if they're wide open. And with how quick Auburn is and the athletes they have, having a couple feet more of space is going to be huge. Right. So we've covered almost all the teams. Um, I guess – the two teams that we haven't covered that are kind of in that uh, top, top, let's say top eight, um, are Mississippi and, and Mississippi State, um, at least for me. Uh, you're forgetting, you're forgetting the team that finished fourth in the SEC last year, South Carolina, South Carolina. Do, do you think South Carolina is going to pull that, man. pull that again? Do you think they'll compete? No, the they're, top? no, they're, they're. No, uh, they're. Uh, I love my alma mater, but they're not gonna be that level. I think they'll be good. I think they could get on the tournament bubble. Um, AJ Lawson is somebody who I think is gonna be an all conference performer. Keyshawn Bryant uh, is somebody I could see being a significant. I don't want to say role player, but be a, a kind of that sit below all conference where he's just a matchup nightmare. He's a super athletic six eight guy around the rim. The, the problem is going to be replacing uh, Chris Silva in the middle and Asani Gravit outside. They were inconsistent. Silva mostly had to do with, with foul trouble, but when they were on the court, that was what made South Carolina uh, – that allowed them to finish fourth because the, the boost they gave them at, at just senior leaders and guys who knew how to play in Frank Martin's system. But I think they might be a bit more talented this year just maybe not as smart. I, I could see them finishing in like that six, seven range and being in the bubble just kind of depends who they're able to beat at a conference. Yeah, and and replacing Silva is probably the reason why I have them uh, as low as I do, uh, which is outside mm-hmm. that top eight. Um, for me, it comes down to I was impressed with Kotsar, uh early on, but... Uh, and he just never took a step forward. He never really that's, improved. That's been his entire collegiate career to this point. Is he still the same player he was as a freshman? On on that Final Four team, that, that 2017 Final Four team, he was a starter on that team, but he hasn't taken a step forward to become anything more than a glorified role player. And that's, I think, kind of held South Carolina back a little bit. Right, because, I mean, even in that, and I'm specifically talking about that Final Four game against Gonzaga, he, despite not really putting up an impressive stat line, I mean, he gave those bigs trouble. Um, And I just haven't seen him take that next step into being productive. Um, He is your classic Frank Martin player of somebody who's just tough, not super skilled, but tough, going to set a hard screen, going to make you work in the post, will rebound. But he's just so limited offensively and has such limited foot speed. And you'd like to – those are the things you'd like to see get better with him. He's a senior now. He was a freshman then. They haven't improved at all. He hasn't developed a more expansive offensive game, you know, hasn't necessarily developed any more. He hasn't gotten it really any quicker. It helped him defensively at all. And that – I think he was the big who was going to take over for Silva, and this is kind of his last chance to prove he can be something more than that role player. Yeah. So, back to the Mississippi school. Sorry, back to Mississippi. <laughs> yes. Um, I think I think 
I have Mississippi in that top half conversation, or not in the top half conversation. I have Mississippi in the top half of the SEC. Um, but I think Mississippi State might intrigue me a little bit more. And I think, Why is that? I think that they're – Mississippi State's going to be reliant heavily on on Schuller and Tyree, um, and I think Mississippi State's just a little bit more balanced uh, in the sense that they, you know, Weatherspoon can score, Reggie Perry can score, Tyson Carter can score. Um, they've got that guy kid from Siena who's going to be able to, to play, and and he's he's a relatively efficient scorer. So, in in terms of which team has more talent? I think it's probably Mississippi, but Mississippi State has one of those we can do it if all the pieces work together well kind of vibes to them. For Miss, yeah, for Mississippi State, I don't think it's too far-fetched to say that they have a shot at duplicating what they did last year. It would take a great coaching job from Ben Hallen to do that and kind of be, you know, a team that's greater than some other parts kind of deal. But as you mentioned, the talent is there, size is there, athleticism's there. It's just a matter of finding guys to replace, particularly Quindary Weatherspoon and Eric Coleman in the middle. Those guys who stepped up, they, again, talented guys who can step up, but we haven't seen it yet. Right. Ole Miss is, I think, a bit more established, which gives you a bit more confidence in them to take – a step forward, but I also think they overachieved in such a way last year that they're due to kind of, I think we may see, I don't want to say regression, but I don't know if they'll meet increased expectations because I think there will be, um, you know, essentially last year, I think they played as good as they could play. Right. Right. And I, I think it's it's natural to think they, they'll take a step forward, but I don't think that step forward is going to be as big as everybody thinks it is because I don't think necessarily their baseline is what they did last year. I think what right. they did last year was above their baseline. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, they'll be two teams kind of to watch on that, on that bubble um, along with mm -hmm. Tennessee and Auburn. Um, final team, the only team we haven't t spoken about, and only because I really don't like their coach, um, Missouri. <laughs> what, what do you think? What do you think about oh, Missouri? Man. Who knows, man? Are the Michael Porter Jr. coming back? Jonte Porter coming back? Remember when they were going to be like one of the SEC's best programs two years ago? Uh, but yeah. I don't. I, I think you can pretty much lock them in for a bottom half of the conference finish. I'm not a huge Quantum Martin fan either, but I don't know, they're not going to be a dumpster fire, but they're also not going to be good. That's that's kind of Quantum Martin's calling card is not a dumpster <laughs> yes. fire, but also not good. Um, which which is why I don't like. I don't think he makes any team better. But I also don't think right. he makes any team worse as a coach. I think he just – the team kind of plays to where the team should be, um, with the exception of and when the players were had... But that was yeah, injury. And, well, they, they got hurt. So yeah. um, he just hasn't recruited consistently. I thought a lot of people thought he was going to, you know. And you see that on the roster. There's just not enough talent, I think, competitive with, again, how how – how much talent I think there is in the SEC understated a lot of it because of the coaches that have been brought in. Um, they, I don't, they just don't have a roster that can compete with the top half. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I just, I think, I mean, I think their entire, that's a fair play, for Missouri. I don't know. Yeah. I think their entire <laughs> play for Quanza Martin and the Porter's, father i believe it was was to get the mm -hmm. porters from washington and washington's been a better program than missouri by a mile the past two years so you know mm -hmm. that that really didn't work out i i don't necessarily think martin should be in missouri much longer um i don't think he's necessarily on the hot seat just because he can point to injuries of his star right. players but um 
the honeymoon phase is over. Yeah, I, I think that this year and next year he has to show results, or uh, you know, the clock, the clock might be running out on Martin. Yeah, he'd be somebody who would be on the hot seat going in next year. I think if Missouri has the kind of season that we expect them to have. All right, so moving on, uh, things that we've done or answer, questions we've answered every week so far. Um, to start, which of these teams in the SEC, if any, do you see as legitimate Final Four national title contenders? I see Kentucky, obviously, just from a talent standpoint, a coaching standpoint. I see Florida for the same reasons we both talked about how much we love Florida's roster. I think that's kind of it. Uh, and we haven't really gotten to two from one of the other conferences, but I think there's two clear-cut Final Four championship contenders. I think you can put LSU in there as a dark horse, depending on how particularly Javante Martin, Skyler may step up into those roles and if they can replace Tremotters and Nas Reed in a, in a decent way. And if Will Wade kind of keeps his name out of NCAA headlines, I think they could be a dark horse. But I, I think it's very clearly just Kentucky and Florida. And and along with Kentucky, Florida, LSU, how many? Because um, I agree with you. I think it's just those two. How many teams in the SEC do you think make the NCAA tournament? I'm going to put the number at seven. I think those three will get in, no problem. And then I think you have a mix of about six teams that are all going to kind of be in the bubble conversation on one side or the other in Tennessee, in Auburn, in the Mississippi schools. I'll even throw South Carolina in that mix. Um, who am I forgetting? I know I'm forgetting somebody. You can throw Alabama in that mix as well. I don't, I don't know necessarily who of four of those six will get in, a lot of that will, you know, they all have questions and we'll kind of have some clarity on that after the first month of the season. But I would put those, those top three clearly and then four of those six making it in. Yeah. For me, you know, I'd put the over-under kind of in that six and a half, seven range. Um, I'm a little bit higher on Alabama uh, from a talent perspective and from mm-hmm. a coaching perspective. So I think I feel safe saying Kentucky, Florida, and LSU. I'm feeling pretty good about Alabama getting in. And I agree with you. I think it's I think it's the two Mississippi schools in Tennessee and Auburn. Um, I think I only think one of the schools in Mississippi makes it in, whether it's Mississippi or Mississippi State. Um, I only think one makes it in. Uh, and I honestly, I mean, Tennessee and Auburn are taking steps back, and and I think one of them is going to make it in. I think the I think at least one of them is going to be kind of dangerously close to the bubble. Um, yeah, it could it could be six or seven with three or four being, um, you know, nine to eleven seeds. Right. Yeah, I think I think from a pure talent perspective or, or success perspective, the top of the SEC is really strong. Um, that next tier um, is kind of in the middle like of the bubble range um you know from a from from the pure standpoint of they've got three that are definitely i think getting in barring injury and then a bunch that i really don't know um right and so unlike the acc the big 12 there's not as many i'm comfortable saying they're definitely a tournament team but there's a lot more that i'm comfortable saying they'll compete for a tournament spot. Yeah. I mean, depending on how things go, it could be as little as four or five, or it could be as many as eight or nine. There's just a lot of teams that have that many questions. Yep. Yep. Who do you think wins player of the year? Andrew Nimhard. I put him on my breakout list, so I'm going to go with him. Again, just what we talked about before, the – wide-ranging skill set that he has, the kind of all-around game, the vision he has. And, and I'm so high on Florida. I, I said I think they win the contest, and I think he's the biggest reason why. It could be one of those deals where best player, best team wins it. Yeah, I was going to go with, I think Kerry Blackshear comes in 
and takes it. Um, and really, it, it does come down to who's the best player on that team throughout the entire season, and it's going to be one of those two, I think. Yeah. So, um, But other than that, I, I really only see maybe Kira Lewis if Alabama plays above uh, and gets into that top 25 conversation. Um, right. And then possibly an Ashton Higgins or a, or a Maxi or a Montgomery or, or someone if Kentucky takes the – the championship. If one of those Kentucky guys separates themselves from everybody, kind of mm-hmm. like PJ Washington did towards the end of, of last year, then I think they they would have a real contender. And you could pick anybody on Kentucky's roster, really, yeah. or anybody from the rotation, and it, it could be them. But I, I think just the way they played the last couple of years has been you know more even team game, and that's kind of how Calipari likes to play. They're going to take a lot of votes away from each other, and mm-hmm. they're not going to have that one standout clear candidate, in, in my mind at least. Right. And so I think it's safe to say that you also see Mike White winning coach of the year in the SEC. Yeah. Although NATO's could give him a run depending on how quickly he gets Alabama playing up to the level that many expect them to if they can fulfill their potential. Yeah. So final question and we do this at the end of every preview. One bold prediction. Florida wins the national championship. Hmm. They're my, that, that's my pick this year. It's kind of unproven, but I, I think there are so many unproven teams, and we've talked about this a little bit over the past couple of podcasts. There are so many question marks that I have about all the top teams in the country. Yep. I think Florida, again, their roster fits together the best. I think they have the least amount of questions and plenty of upside to go along with that. Mm-hmm. So, I think Florida wins. I think what I'm going to go with is I think that the SEC gets fewer teams in the than the ACC, fewer teams in than the Big Ten, and fewer teams in than the Big Twelve, but has three Elite Eight teams and two Final Four teams. I think the okay. top of the SEC is that good. Um, I don't think that they're going to get in as many teams because I don't think the middle is as good as any of those conferences, but I think the top is, is probably bounds ahead of the top of any other conference in the country. That's fair. So that. <laughs> with that, uh, thanks for joining us on the busting brackets podcast, SEC preview. I'm Connor hope for my co-host, Brian Ralph. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time with the Pac-12. It's the last of our Power 5 conferences. So I know that's a football term, but I'll use it. (laughs) Pac-12 after dark.